Monday was a day of big news in the minor leagues, not just for the Orioles, but also across minor league baseball. We'll talk about all that. Plus, speaking of the minor leagues, more MLB draft profiles for the Orioles. We'll learn about the two guys they took out of Texas, the catcher Silas Ardwan and the outfielder Douglas Hodo. But that's all coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. You are Locked On Orioles, your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, Orioles fans. Today is Tuesday, August 30th, 2022, and welcome back in to the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb. And coming up on today's episode, there's going to be a lot of just Orioles and general minor league talk here on today's podcast. The O's off on Monday, no game after coming back from Houston. They will be in Cleveland tonight to start a three-game series with the Guardians, but wanted to focus on the minors because the O's made some big minor league promotions on Monday with some of their top prospects. They got some really good news on Grayson Rodriguez, and we got some really good news about the state of minor league baseball as a whole. So we'll talk about that. Then we'll have a guest on as we are going to continue our 2022 Orioles MLB Draft Profile Series. Our guest is going to be Ben Howell. He works in analytics for Texas Longhorns Baseball, and he's going to tell us about the two players the Orioles drafted out of Texas in this year's draft, the fourth rounder, the catcher, Silas Artuan, and the sixth rounder, the outfielder, Douglas Hodo. But that's all coming up on this episode of the Locked on Orioles podcast. Before we get there, though, just did want to thank you for making Locked on Orioles your first podcast listen of the day. We're free and available on all podcast listening platforms. And remember, we've got you covered. Orioles content five days a week, Monday through Friday. Come right back here, listen to the pod, or watch it right here on the Locked on Orioles YouTube channel. Make sure to like, comment, and subscribe as well. We thank you so much for making Locked on Orioles your first listen of the day. For your first listen today, let's start with some minor league news. And before we even get to the Orioles-centric part of it, We got to talk about the big news that really came out late Sunday night. It was broken by June Lee of ESPN that minor league baseball with guidance and a lot more from the Major League Baseball Players Association is working its way in its first steps towards unionizing. Now, the reports have come out and Evan Drellick and Eugene Friedman, the usuals, have done a great job of of covering this throughout Monday as more details have emerged. But essentially, the Major League Baseball Players Association, which is the strongest union in all of professional sports, essentially wants to bring the minor league players in with them in the union as well. Now, I've been very clear that I support unionizing the minor leagues here on this podcast, but we weren't sure if whenever that day came, it would look like a separate minor league union or if the major league players would rope in the minor league guys. And it looks like that's what the MLBPA is trying to do. Now, I'll try to have more better information on future episodes. Again, go follow Eugene Friedman. Go follow Evan Drellick. Go listen to the Tipping Pitches podcast. They will all have much better info for you on what's going on here. But the basis is MLBPA and the agents, former players, they have sent out information and union cards to all minor league players. And basically, if they can get 30% of players to sign up to be a part of the union, they can move forward. The bigger percentage that they get, if it gets over 50%, it's even better. If it gets over 70%, Major League Baseball might just recognize the minor leagues as a part of the MLBPA and in the union. But 
This is going to start probably a long union fight for the minor league players, but something they need to do. And the best case scenario out of this is that the minor leaguers at the end of the day, no matter how long this takes, end up in the Major League Baseball Players Association and the livelihood of minor league baseball players gets much, much better if that happens. But we'll have much more coverage of that as more details emerge throughout the next days, weeks, and months as well. But big day in the Orioles system as well, not just for all these players who hopefully are you know sending back these cards, signing up and trying to get this union started, but a lot of big-time promotions in the Orioles system on Monday. And let's start from the top down, and the number one name that was promoted on Monday was Colton Kowser as the Orioles' first-round pick, the fifth overall selection in the 2021 draft, is headed from AA Bowie to AAA Norfolk. The 21-year-old, or excuse me, 22-year-old outfielder now actually started the year in high A Aberdeen, and his stats were solid, hit 258, a 122 WRC plus in 62 games with the Ironbirds, but he got promoted to Bowie, and that guy has been unstoppable with the Bowie Bay Sox. Talked about it a bit on Friday's episode, highlighting how great he's been in August. He's just been great in general with Bowie. 49 games with the Bay Sox, 224 plate appearances. Colton Kowser hit 341 in Bowie with 10 homers and a 184 WRC+. His last swing in a Bay Sox uniform was a walk-off home run for the Bay Sox on Sunday. You can't end it much better than that. He will move up and start every day in the outfield for the AAA Norfolk Tides. This does not mean he's going to be in the major leagues this year, but this does mean I would expect Colton Kowser in the major leagues with the Orioles in 2023. The other promotion from AA to AAA was Joey Ortiz, the Orioles' fourth-round selection in 2019. The 24-year-old infielder who didn't play much last year, played in just 35 games in 2021 because of injury, is back healthy this year, and is mashing the baseball. Ortiz had spent the entire year in Bowie until this promotion. 111 games, just shy of 500 plate appearances with the Bay Sox. He hit 269 with 15 home runs, a career high already, and a 115 WRC plus for Ortiz. Now again, not going to be in the big leagues this year. And I think even his timeline could be a little further behind Kowser's, but he's going to be right on the big league door next year. I've continued to think that Joey Ortiz is kind of a perfect candidate to be traded for some big league starting pitching help, maybe this offseason, maybe during next season. But right now, he is dominating in the Orioles system. Then the O's made one promotion from high A to double A, and that is Daryl Hernandez, who, congrats to him, who had to start this year once again in Delmarva. After spending all of 2021 in Delmarva, the Orioles Fifth round pick at a high school in 2019. Went back there again. I don't think he was too happy about it, but he hit 283 there in 32 games. They promoted him to high A Aberdeen. And Hernandez in 60 games with the Aberdeen Ironbirds, 255 plate appearances, has hit 205, five home runs, a 126 WRC plus in high A. And the 21-year-old infielder now moving up to double A Bowie basically will replace Joey Ortiz on that roster in the infield and it'll be fun to see what he can do down the stretch as Bowie right now is in the lead in the second half standings in the Eastern League in AA. So they are making a playoff push here in the Eastern League, and Hernandez could be a part of that. And then the final promotion was one of the Orioles' 2022 draft picks is making another jump. That is the 21-year-old outfielder Judd Fabian is moving up from Delmarva 
to Aberdeen. Now, Fabian, who was the 67th overall selection in the 2022 draft, the outfielder out of Florida, Orioles sent him to the FCL like they did with pretty much every draft pick. Played four games there. He was too good for that level. He was 5 for 10 with a double, three ribbies, six walks in that time. So they sent him to Delmarva with the rest of the draft picks. He was too good for Delmarva. 10 games with the Shorebirds for Judd Fabian and 52 plate appearances. He hit 386 with a 481 on base and an 841 slugging percentage for a 244 WRC plus for Judd Fabian. That's three homers, two triples, seven doubles, and eight walks in his 10 games with the Shorebirds is just unreal. He's heading up to high A Aberdeen. He will finish the season with the Ironbirds. And Aberdeen, who of course won the first half title in their league. So they will be competing in the postseason. They'll have Judd Fabian in their outfield to help them. And then the last minor league move for the Orioles was not a promotion, but was, you could argue, even more exciting than those four exciting promotions I just mentioned. Because Grayson Rodriguez is going to be back on a mound this week. Rodriguez, who has been out since June 1st when he left the game with some back tightness in that start in AAA Norfolk, ended up being diagnosed with a grade 2 lat strain and will essentially miss exactly three months between pitching in minor league games. Grayson Rodriguez, as announced by the Orioles on Monday, will make his first rehab appearance in high A with the Aberdeen Ironbirds at Ripken Stadium on Thursday night. He's going to join the team tonight. He will pitch on Thursday. The Orioles have not said at time of this recording you know, how deep they want him to pitch in the game, what his pitch cap is going to be for that first outing. It's not like you know he's going to pitch Thursday in Aberdeen and then be in the big leagues next week. It's going to be a process building him back up. He'll pitch at Aberdeen. He'll pitch at Bowie. He'll pitch at Norfolk as well throughout the rest of the season. But the fact that you know on September 1st, he's going to be pitching again in a minor league game means he can't totally count him out for getting to the big leagues at the end of this year. It's still a possibility at this point. Rodriguez, of course, the number one pitching prospect in baseball, 11th overall pick in the draft at high school in 2018. The 22-year-old made 11 starts in Norfolk this year before the injury. In 56 innings, he had a 2.09 ERA, 12.9 Ks per nine to just 2.3 walks per nine, a 1.68 FIP. He was just dominating in AAA. He was pretty much ready to get to the bigs. And then an unfortunate injury right at the end of that last start. He's going to be back on the mound. At the very least, we'll see him finish the year pitching in AAA. Hopefully, at the end of September, he's in an Oriole uniform. We will see. But this is very good news for Rodriguez and the Orioles. I'll be in the ballpark at Ripken Stadium Thursday to watch him pitch. And hopefully, all can go well. But speaking of minor league promotions, we're going to learn about two other guys who have already been each promoted once. Both of these guys got drafted in 2022 went to the FCL, and have since been sent to the Delmarva Shorebirds. And that is two picks that the Orioles made on day two of the draft, both out of Texas and that great Longhorns baseball program. The first, the catcher Silas Ardwan, who the Orioles selected in the fourth round, and the second, the outfielder Douglas Hodo, who the Orioles took in the sixth round. Again, both out of Texas, so we got to have somebody from that Texas program come on to talk about him. And Ben Howell is going to be our guest. He does analytics for the Texas Longhorns baseball team. And Ben's going to join us here after the break to talk about Ardwan, his catching ability behind the plate, how his bat got so much better this year. We'll talk about Hodo, his offensive improvements, his elite defense in center field, and what both of them will bring to the Orioles system moving forward. But first got to tell you about LinkedIn Jobs because 
As you gear up for fall, you need the right people on your team to help your small business fire on all cylinders. LinkedIn Jobs is here to make it easier to find the people you want to talk to faster and for free. You can create a job post in minutes on LinkedIn Jobs to reach your network and beyond the world's largest professional network of over 810 million people. And they've got simple tools like screening questions that make it easy to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and who you'd like to hire. And LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidates you want to talk to faster. Did you know that every week, nearly 40 million job seekers visit LinkedIn? So post your job for free at linkedin.com slash LockedOnMLB. That's linkedin.com slash LockedOnMLB to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. All right, so we welcome Ben Howell into the podcast. He does analytics for the Texas Longhorns baseball team. And Ben, first of all, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Connor. Really, uh, really excited to be here and talk about these guys. Yeah, so we have you on to uh, talk about the two guys the Orioles took in the second day of the draft out of Texas this year. There were actually two schools where the Orioles took two different players from the same team this year in the draft. One was Indiana, and the other, of course, was the Texas Longhorns. Silas Ardwan, the catcher in the fourth round, and Douglas Hodo, the outfielder in the sixth round. And let's start with Silas Ardwan because, you know, both of these guys obviously come from, uh, you know, some, some big time baseball families, each of their dads played at a high level, but I want to start with Silas because, you know, some Orioles fans see the O's go catcher in the fourth round. And the question is, well, Adley Rutschman exists. What are we doing here? But when you look at the tools, a, a lot of this pick makes sense. And my first question is a guy in similar playing time pretty much goes from one home run in 2021 to 12 homers in 22. So the question kind of is how? Yeah, no, I, I think that was one of the uh, kind of big surprises we had uh, this year. Obviously, we hit a lot of home runs as, as a team, but Silas especially, I think taking that jump uh, made a really big impact on the lineup and what we were able to do. And I mean, I think a lot of it boiled down to like it was – you know, his third year in the program, third year working with Tulo and the coaching staff, and just that continued familiarity after getting a full season of at-bats the previous year, where in 2020, you know, we had, he played two weeks and then things got shut down. So I think being able to build on a full year of playing time, and then I think, you know, with both these guys, honestly, they both took big power jumps. A lot of it, I think, comes down to the fact that we had a really good lineup last year. And when you're when you're facing a lineup with guys like Ivan Melendez and Murphy Staley, both of whom also got drafted, like you got to go after somebody in that lineup. And you know, Doug at the top of the lineup, Murph kind of bookending those uh, silence, not Murph, bookending those guys. Like they got a few more pitches to hit, and uh, it kind of went for Silas. One of the one of the things I really like about his approach is that like it's a ton of contact. Like when if he's swinging in the zone, like he's making contact ninety five percent of the time. And like especially for a catcher, I think when I looked around the catcher landscape at like the teams who are playing, a catcher who makes a lot of contact in the zone plus does has the defensive side uh, is a really valuable piece. And he also just crushed fastballs last year. And I think so that combination of just he was older, he was bigger, he was stronger, he had seen more pitching, and then just being able to absolutely take advantage of the fastballs he was getting in the zone, both in terms of making contact and doing a ton of damage. 
I think that's where a lot, a lot of the power came from. And, yeah. yeah and, and, you know, you mentioned the, the, the defense from Arduana as well. And that's what I wanted to ask about, you know, I, I do like, you know, when the O's can take a guy from a, a big time power five conference, cause I watch a lot of college baseball. So before I even go look up highlights on YouTube, I kind of remember some guys and, Arduan's arm stuck out to me just from watching Texas from time to time. My question is for you seeing him every day, what, what's the biggest strength for him defensively behind the plate? Yeah. I mean, that's a really good question. And I think he does everything kind of defensively, like really well. I think that's one of the, one of the strengths he has as a player, whether it's kind of communicating with the pitchers and like being very comfortable with them and what they throw. And honestly, like we kind of joked amongst our group of analytics people that like, if he had two Silas could call the game, we didn't really necessarily even need to coach. And so seeing like those relationships, he built with the pitchers and like how comfortable he made them on the mound and everything was pretty cool to see. Uh, but kind of beyond that, obviously the more, on the field aspects of defense, like the thing that really stood out to me was the framing. Uh, college umps, not to try and get myself in trouble or anything. Uh, college umps are inconsistent, yes. and so that makes that makes framing metrics really tough sometimes. Um, some of the stuff we have internally for Texas, but Silas does a really good job of making sure strikes stay strikes. And I think that combined with his ability to like steal strikes when an ump kind of had a zone that they were like, okay, they're a little weak on, they're a little fringy on, being able to take advantage of those and knowing, kind of knowing what pitches were ones, okay, I can get away with this one or like that one's just, that one's going to be tough to frame. Kind of having that awareness was really interesting to watch. And honestly, in terms of the arm, like it, the, the numbers kind of speak for itself and the highlights do as well. Uh, but it's one of those things where it's like, we saw like seeing it every day and every day in the fall, every day in the spring and just like watching it happen day after day. Of, oh, sorry, let's throw another guy out. Like it's one of those things. It's like, it's really cool. And it's also like, Oh yeah, it's just kind of, it got to a point where it was like routine. And that was, that was really cool to watch, especially like seeing seeing when we would try to run on other teams and kind of the inconsistency that I'd see in other catchers, uh, knowing that Silas, like, when he had to make that throw, it was going to be a good throw, good location, kind of whether or not, kind of irrespective of what, wherever the pitch was, essentially. Yeah, and, and a lot of scouting reports had Arduan as the top defensive catcher mm -hmm. in this class, and the Orioles able to get him in the fourth round. So kind of the last thing I had on Arduan, you know, he's been already comparisons been made to another guy in the Orioles system in Maverick Handley, who they took out of Stanford uh, just a couple of rounds after they took Adley Rutschman a couple of years ago. And Handley was the co-defensive player of the year in the Pac-12 with Adley Rutschman. He's elite back there, but his bat is just kind of now coming mm -hmm. around as he's in double a for Arduan offense better, much better for him in college than it was for a guy yes. like Hanley. So kind of my final question is, you know, when he moves up this system and, you know, I guess kind of for a catcher in the O system right now, it's the, the goal is be Adley's backup one day. Um, but if that, you know, becomes his role, do you see him being a, you know, glove first catcher at the next level? Or can he be a guy that mm -hmm. when, you know, let's say three years down the road, when Adley's DHing on a Sunday, that Arduan's bat is still one you don't have to hit ninth and you can feel comfortable with in the lineup? Ooh, that's a really good question. Uh, and I think 
I think Silas was one of those like rolling school glove finalists at catcher. So like, yeah, clearly stood out there. Everything. Uh, kind of, as it moves up, ooh, I haven't really thought about that a whole lot. I think it's going to be, I mentioned the contact and I think looking kind of at what we have internally, it was like 96% zone contact on fastballs, which is really, really good, even at the college level. And Silas hits lefties extremely well. And against righties, there was a little bit more of a struggle against kind of the breaking stuff, which obviously is natural, um, but it was a little bit more drastic than we'd see with other bats on the team. And so it's a really long-winded way of my answer being, I think it's going to be a good bat, and especially for the catcher position where it's not going to be terrible. It's not going to be a sieve like in the offense if he has to step in and hit, but I do think I think the defense is going to be the main call. And I think if Silas, for some reason, um, ended up getting 600 play appearances in a year, you're probably talking 12 to 18 home runs, probably. And so I think that pop might um, might play up a little bit, um, whereas he's probably not going to hit for a super high average. Uh, but that would be – that would kind of right now be where I ex- would expect it. Yeah, it's such an interesting system for a catcher to get drafted into right now because obviously in the Major League Baseball draft, no one's drafting for for positional need. You're drafting the best player in your system. But when you have a rookie catcher who might already be the best catcher in baseball and you hope the O's sign him to a 15-year extension this offseason, it's kind of an interesting spot. But uh, obviously, you know, there's two, there's two catchers on that roster. And, uh, you know, the, the O's hoping Silas can, uh, can be that number two guy. I wanted to float over to Douglas Hodo, of course, the other guy who the Orioles picked up, sixth rounder out of Texas who played center field for the Longhorns this year. And it's kind of the same question because he had a similar power just advantage and and, and gain in his power from 2021 to 22 like Arduan Mm -hmm. did. It wasn't the giant, you know, one one to 12 home runs, but still, you know, the slugging percentage and all the all the numbers went up. Was there a, a, a tweak he made or was it similar to Arduan where, you know, he was just getting some better pitches like you talked about? Yeah, I mean, kind of at the risk of sounding like a broken record. I think some of it was, you know, he got to see really good pitches and, you know, third year with the team, a full season of at-bats last year on a team that went to Omaha playing over the summer. Like, I think, I think just getting all that repetition is something that's really hard to overstate. Uh, but then I think he made some adjustments too, where we saw his max exit velocity jump up to, I think, 111, which even with a metal bat is still pretty impressive and kind of in that like 50%, 50th percentile range. And he's another guy that he didn't see a super big drop off, like pitch type to pitch type, especially against righties, uh, where like, he slugged really well against fastballs, but was also taking advantage of breaking balls in the zone and being able to hit those. Yeah. But kind of with the caveat of that, of he was running about, I think, 23, 24% in terms of strikeout rate. And that's a little high. I mean, that's obviously like above average. And so it made him this a little bit of a not atypical leadoff hitter because he's very fast, very good contact most of the time. Um, but a guy who was a little bit more swinging this, partly searching for a little bit more of that power, uh, especially kind of tapping into, okay, I want to pull the ball in the air down the line 
and get off and run. I think I think that that kind of change in approach where he was like, all right, like if it's OO count, one O count, like it doesn't really matter if I swing in this here on a breaking ball because I might swing in this, but the ball also might go 400 feet. And honestly, either of those are okay outcomes when it's not a strikeout situation. And so kind of, kind of just watching that evolve over the course of the fall and into the spring and kind of watch him tap into being able to pull the ball consistently is kind of where I thought a lot of the time came. And I mean, big, big line drives, big double cut. Yeah. And, you know, when you hit a lot of balls in the air, some of them go over the fence. And and as his power goes up, you know, we, we talked about with Arduan, you know, him, him having that power swing, but it's really about, you know, when he gets a fastball in the zone, he's, he's putting that ball in play. <laughs> Do you see for Hodo, you know, he's, you know, he obviously did more damage on, on more pitches in 2022. Can you see it being a similar trajectory as he goes on where more power comes or kind of what, what does that hitter profile looks look like as he does more damage at the pro level? Yeah. I, I mean, that's, I think a really good question. And when I think about Douglas, I think in, ter- in terms of like max exit velocity and the type of player he is, he's probably pretty close to his ceiling on that because uh, I think defensively he's really good and you don't want to, you don't really want to take away from that at the expense of adding, okay, a mile or two in terms of XEV. I think some of that will come as he just continues to grow and it's baseball, 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 like all the time instead of baseball in school. Uh, But I think watching how his approach is going to grow as a pro, and see if the, okay, I'm okay with swinging this or I'm okay with chasing, like seeing if like his ability to recognize pitches that are like way out of the zone, seeing how that continues to develop, if that makes sense. And the idea of like, okay, like I'm fine with swinging and missing, but I want to make sure I'm doing it on good pitches essentially. and so that's a really long response that I'm not sure answers the original question, uh, but it's, he's not going to hit probably for 20 home runs. I think it's like just in terms of being realistic, like that's not the kind of player he is. Um, but I think, again, a lot of line drives, a lot of doubles, really fast guy who will probably run a pretty high battle, especially in the minor leagues where defense is a lot shakier. And so like, I think that, that kind of performance will be there. Yeah, and, and what what was so cool about this Orioles draft class as a whole and something we talked about with Arduan and kind of the last thing I wanted to get to with Hodo here is that they seem to take, you know, guys who they feel like have high upsides if they can tweak something in the swing, something in the in the quality of contact. They can get a lot more out of the offense. But while doing that, they still got guys with higher floors because so many guys they drafted had such elite defensive tools that at the end of the day, you know, in a guy like Hodo, they drafted a guy where they feel like, even if we can't get the most out of him, he can be a big league fourth outfielder. And that's what I wanted to ask about last. He patrolled center field incredibly well for the long ones this year. Yes, he did. Like, how would you describe the defensive skills? Because he got to a lot of balls. He made the highlight reel plays. And I kind of the, the question comes to, is he a, a center fielder long-term? Because he sure looks like it out there, at least on a college diamond. Yeah, I mean, I think when, I, when I've been thinking about Douglas, like in my head, he's a center fielder long term. And I think one of the, the point where that like 
thought kind of entered my head was obviously he started, I think, every or almost every game in center field this year. And we had two guys, Eric Kennedy and Dylan Campbell, who are also like incredibly good outfield defenders who would probably start in center field for 85%, 90% of power five teams. And so seeing that like from day one, coaches were like, Douglas is our son. He is going to start every day in center field. And was just like, okay, so they believe. And then just watching it, like, yeah, the range is really, the instincts are really good. Seeing the ball off the bat, like, okay, I got to go this way. Uh, a little quip is that I uh, would like to see the communication improve. I um, uh, don't know if you watch our Super Regional or our, uh, probably would have been our uh, Texas A&M game in Omaha. There were a couple of instances where there were fielders kind of getting awfully close to each other on fly balls to the outfield. Uh, but I think that's a, that's a fairly easy and so yeah like it's that it's that center field profile that you're looking for i don't think the arm is necessarily like above average but i think it gets the job when it's a guy who's going to get to a lot of balls and he's going to make a lot of plays it's definitely good enough to stick there yeah this was an incredible texas team this year obviously ivan melendez got you know most of the looks because he was hitting the ball 480 plus feet sometimes, but yep. there's a lot of other talent on this team. And the Orioles certainly let people know that by drafting Arduan and Hodo on day two of the draft. But Ben, thank you so much for joining us. To tell us all about these two Longhorns uh, who will be joining the Orioles system. Both of them already uh, up at low a Del Marva, And uh, we're excited to see them kind of roll their way through the system. But thanks again for coming on the pod. Awesome. Thank you, Connor. Appreciate it. So our thanks again to Ben Howell, who does analytics for Texas Longhorns Baseball, for joining us to talk about the two players the O's took out of the Texas system this year. Silas Arduan, the catcher, the fourth-round pick, and Douglas Hodo, the outfielder, the sixth-round pick. Not going to lie to you, that conversation with Ben got me pretty excited about both of those players. Arduan, who just all he's done is walk and walk and uh, walk some more in his professional career so far in the FCL and in Delmarva, that's been pretty fun to watch. Uh, the batter's eye that, that Ben talked about some and his ability to hit the, the fastball in the zone. I mean, he's already got 13 walks in 10 professional games, does Silas Arduan. So that's pretty exciting, honestly. And when you look at the system, you know, a lot of people love Maverick Hanley, but Arduan's bat definitely, I think, has a higher ceiling than Maverick Hanley. So if the O's are looking for that backup catcher for Adley down the road, and maybe they continue to shuffle guys out, you know, year after year, Arduan could be that guy a couple of years down the road. And then Douglas Hodo, he just adds to, you know, another set for the Orioles of these, you know, very good defensively, you know, got a couple of traits of their swing. You like hit well in college outfielders that the O's have littered across their system right now. We just saw one in Colton Cowser, obviously a higher upside guy, go to AAA. But Hodo's another one of these guys who's just going to add to that list of outfielders. And, you know, some of these guys will be trade chips down the line, but others will get to the big leagues. And it's definitely an exciting group in the Orioles system right now. But that doesn't end the draft profile series here this week on the pod. We're going to learn about even more guys through the rest of the week. And of course, I'll be back with you here on the podcast tomorrow. 
recapping game one between the Orioles and the Guardians, who huge three-game series starting tonight in Cleveland. Spencer Watkins going for the Orioles against Cal Quantrill in game one of three. That's a 6.10 p.m. Eastern time start of the recap of that one. The five things you need to know on tomorrow's episode. Plus, we'll continue with our draft coverage and we'll keep up the coverage of who is coming up when rosters expand to 28 players on Thursday and who could maybe come up even before that as well. But that's all coming up on tomorrow's episode. Until then, I'm Connor Newcomb, and this has been the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.